0: So Money, Episode 95, Jesse Mika.
1: You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a
0: richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Hey everyone, welcome back to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. If your budgeting is not where you want it to be and you're wondering what else you can do, today's guest might be able to help. He is the founder and CEO of youneedabudget.com or YNAB, Jesse Meekum. Fueled by the desire to survive as a 20 something newlywed and a full time student, Jesse developed a budgeting system to help him track. His expenses, what was a simple expense recorder, evolved into something quite useful and pretty big, which allowed him and his family to not only survive, but also save a substantial portion for a rainy day. Fast forward now to 2015, YNAB is a full-blown software enterprise. It's driven by a small, passionate team led by Jesse, helping tens of thousands of people all over the world pay down their debt, save more money, and break the paycheck-to-paycheck cycle. When Jesse is not fine-tuning his software or doing his own budget or helping others get a hold of their finances, he is gardening. He likes playing the piano and honing his golf swing, as well as hanging out with his wife and five amazing children. A few takeaways from our interview with Jesse. One, what is unique about YNAB, and what is its four-rule approach to budgeting? How to, quote, age your money to make the most of your paycheck, and how Jesse paid off his mortgage before he turned 30. Here is Jesse Meekum. Jesse Meekum, welcome to So Money. It's an honor to have you on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. I appreciate it.
0: I've been a fan of yours for many years now, and I had the privilege of being in your audience actually at FinCon 14 back in September, where you gave a really riveting conversation talk to the audience about how to hire successfully. You have an amazing team at YNAB, you com. You've been um, a successful business owner for many, many years now. But I want to start a little bit further back to when you initially thought of this business idea. Now, there are a lot of competitors in this space, big, big names. There's Mm -hmm. QuickBooks, Mint.com, Intuit has a host of companies that are in your space. When you initially had this frustration with not having kind of a budgeting tool that fit your needs, how did that ultimately become a business idea and a fearless take on the market because i think what you did is extremely brave and and confident you know to to say i'm going to do this and i'm going to even do it better than some of the big players out there can you take me back to that moment where you were kind of just kind of going over this idea in your head and realizing you know what i'm going to go with it
1: yeah i uh i wish i had this grand vision but um maybe it was a little bit of just naivete or or arrogance i think it was more just inexperience but I uh, had created the budget only for me and my wife, Julie, and we were, we were newly married. So we ran with it for about a year, and we had stuck to these basic principles, um, just kind of tweaking it as we went along. And, and after about a year of that, making very little money, uh, I realized that it worked really well despite our very, very meager circumstances. So then um, we realized we're having a baby, and he's going to be arriving pretty soon, that was the whole, you know, the thought process for me was how can I make some money, still stay in school, finish up my, my, uh, master's of accountancy, finish that all up, stay in school and still keep my, my part-time job. Um, and then still earn enough to make rent, which was my grand vision at the time was to make rent. So, um, and so that was the big start. I didn't do any competitive analysis. You know, I, I just kind of said, okay, this has worked for me. I have a year under my belt. It's, it's done well, and that gave me the confidence to assume that it would work for other people as well.
0: Share with us why, how it differentiates in the marketplace. I understand there's a four-rule approach to budgeting that YNAB uh, teaches its users, and can you maybe tell us how it differentiates itself in terms of the, the target audience? How Absolutely. do you compete?
1: Yeah, so we, uh, we're more like an education company that happens to sell software, And we give away the education. We, we teach these four rules. They're very, I mean, they're basic, but they're also very deep and impactful. So, um, we teach those, we, we teach them for free and, uh, run lots of people through our webinars, through our email course and things like that. And then if they like what they hear and they like how the method is sounding, if they think it jives with, with how they think about money or how they perhaps should think about money, then the software is kind of a natural sale. So our competition, I mean, really, we compete with a unique methodology that is taught. Uh, just laser, we're just laser focused on changing the way people think about it. And when you do that for somebody, where you give them a couple light bulb moments, they are they end up being quite a fan. And so we we enjoy a lot of word of mouth and enjoy a lot of true behavior change from our users. And that that of course drives their success and then drives our success as well.
0: You brought up light bulb moments. I want to get to yeah. some of your light bulb moments shortly. And now let's transition to some of my so many questions I ask of all my guests. I especially uh, look forward to hearing your answer, Jesse, because I think you come from a background that is solid in kind of financial planning. You majored in accounting. You have degrees in this. Um, what would you say is your all-encompassing financial philosophy that guides your money making decisions and money managing decisions, and also uh, perhaps your, your business choices?
1: Yeah. it's It really can be boiled down to the four rules. Um, I can just give them in a summary. The first rule we want you to do is prioritize your money and only money you actually have on hand because then you are dealing with scarcity, which is a good thing. Um, we want you to look ahead and plan for larger, less frequent expenses like the holidays where you spend more or a vacation or property taxes – Uh, The third rule is that you change whatever you need to do to stay on budget So you move money around as you get new information you change your priorities all of that's fine It's like halftime adjustments for a coach. So that's totally appropriate. And then the fourth rule We want you to get to a point. We call it aging your money We want you to get to a point where you're spending money that you earned about 30 days or more ago so just say, when did this money land in my life? And about 30 days later is, is when I can spend that money. And it's this nice way to distance yourself from financial stress. So that's, that's the gist of it. But if I were to roll it into one big kind of one philosophy, it would just be to make sure that you are really clear on what your money priorities are and then make sure your money is doing those things. And you don't answer to anyone for that. It's just they're your priorities.
0: What do you think is the from uh, from your feedback that you're getting from users what's their most favorite aspect of the the four approaches is it uh the aging your money aspect is pretty nuanced i would say a lot of people immediately before we even get that paycheck we want to spend it absolutely how does the tool encourage you to delay gratification
1: we we actually have a place where you you say this money is available for the next month so it's it's in the software it's built right in and it's it's a weird kind of switch for people where a lot of people say, oh, I'm not living paycheck to paycheck. But if they were to look at their spending on a credit card and then their paycheck coming in, they're actually a lot of times living a month behind. They're, they're paying off last, the last 30 days spending with their last 30 days of work and they're, they're right on the line. So it's a mindset shift where you can get to this point where you say, gosh, I could go an entire month, pay all my bills, fund everything I need to fund and still not earn any money. And that, that spot, people, they underestimate how much they're stressing about their money when they're living paycheck to paycheck.
0: Let's share a money memory now, Jesse. I'd love for you to go down memory lane a little bit sure. and uh, pick perhaps one of the most, uh, just one of the most impactful periods in your time or it was a moment where you, you mm-hmm. either learned a lot about money or um, – you had an aha moment about your finances. It could have been good or bad, but yeah. I really love guests when they paint that picture for us because I think so much of our adult take on finances is stem stems from our our, our experiences growing up, especially as kids. And you're a yeah. parent of five, uh, yeah. so.
1: <laughs> and I don't know what I'm doing yet with those, two, but we'll see. So <laughs>
0: they're learning. I'm sure they're learning. Well, a I'm lot. sure
1: they're learning. I just hope they're learning the right stuff. You know. So um, a memory. It's a. Uh, So painting a picture, I would wear a tie and I would wear a white shirt and black slacks and black shoes and I had an apron full of of balloons and this was when I think I was a junior in high school. I was fairly, I was never shy but I wasn't exactly the salesman, right? But I would go to restaurants and uh, through a booking company and I would tie balloons for people that were eating dinner and I only worked from tips and I realized early on, uh, that I could just grind it out. I could just stay longer and I would make more money. So it was it was a slam dunk. If I stayed longer until 9, 930 when things started slowing down, if I would stay till then, I would make good money. If I would leave at 730 because I wanted to get to the weekend or something, I wouldn't make as much. So that was one lesson. But then to trump that lesson, I realized that there were things I could do to not just be a grind, not just grind things out to earn more but more optimizations where my results became disproportionately large in comparison to the effort expended. And, um, a couple examples, uh, swords are super easy to make. I don't tie balloons anymore, although I could still definitely do a sword, but, um, <laughs> I would, I would go to swords would take me like five to 10 seconds to make. And they would, people would give me a tip, $2, $5. I was always happy if it was $5. And so you're looking at about 10 seconds of work and, in, I wanted people to choose the sword because it was so fast. So I would just go up to people, usually with small boys, and I would just say, hi, do you want a balloon sword? Instead of saying, hey, would, could I tie you a balloon? I just would put in their mind, you probably want a sword. And I would get them to say, yeah, I want a sword so much of the time. And then they see other swords around that makes them think they want a sword. It saved me tons of time. That was one optimization. The other was big business dinners where there are lots of adults. You would normally think, oh, I can't go there because they're all adults. And I would go, and instead of saying, does anyone want a balloon animal, which is a silly question to a bunch of adults, I would say, which one of you deserves the balloon hat? And so it was like this Oh, my God, so smart. Yeah, so you're framing it and saying, like, oh, wait, there's a balloon hat that needs to be worn by someone at the table. And they would immediately point fingers at you know, anyone but themselves. And I one time made over a hundred dollars. I made hats for everybody, and then connected them all. They were all slightly intoxicated, so I added. Oh, that I, helps. Yeah, and the the thing was shaking all over the place, and they were laughing hysterically. And they just started throwing money on the table. And then, I uh, I I mean, it probably took me twenty five minutes, but I made I think a hundred thirty, hundred forty dollars in tips. And this is as a a sixteen, seventeen year old kid, so it was phenomenal. But that was. Kind of a long story, but the gist of it was you can grind it out, but there are also things you can do to really. If you just sit back and kind of analyze a little bit, take Mm -hmm. a moment, there are things you can do to really get those bigger results for for less input, and that was that was a pretty good lesson for me uh, back in high school.
0: I love that story because another really huge takeaway, especially for those of us who um, are in marketing or have businesses, is really understanding your market not only the demand, but also the behavioral twists and turns, like the behavioral Absolutely. psychology behind it all. You know, you mm-hmm. knew that perhaps giving a small child a million choices is going to end up in perhaps nothing. You know, like yeah. when yeah. I was a kid, I'd go to a candy store and I would start crying. As soon as my mother said, you can either have the Kit Kat or the Snickers, I felt empowered. And I was like, okay, yeah. I definitely don't want the Snickers. I want the Kit Kat. So uh, that's kind of what you did. You, you went in and it's been proven that fewer choices we have, the more likely we'll make, um,
1: absolutely
0: some choice. And then of course, intoxication always helps.
1: Always. helps.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, that's a great story. I love that story. Well, share with us now your biggest financial failure. I like talking yeah. about failure, not because I'm a, um, I'm, I'm a sad person, but because I like to, from those failures, extract really the lessons learned and how that might have led you to more success down the road. So what would you say is <clears throat> your biggest financial failure? What happened?
1: So we were, it was uh middle of 2000, maybe a little toward the end of 2008. And for the entire year prior, I had been working on a new version of the software that was going to be compatible with the Mac. This was way back. And Um, I had, I had lost my, my main guy that had built me the original software. He was totally swamped in other stuff. And so I had, I had gone with this other firm to build the software for me. And long story short, I ended up taking an entire year conversations back and forth, emails back and forth and invested about $65,000 in this new version and uh, then I hired the guy that had originally been with me. I, I kind of won him over from the video game industry. He came on board. He took a look at the software and just says, Jesse, we can't launch this software. It's just really bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, it would tarnish the, our brand, you know. And we were still very, very young back then, very small. And that size of investment was very painful to uh, to lose. So... Uh, I went home. I remember going home and we had this new house that we had bought and uh, it was totally empty because we didn't have any money for a ton of furniture. So it just kind of echoed. I remember walking into the house and there's nice wood floor and it's echoing. And I tell Julie, Hey, we're going to scrap the software. And she says, is that the software you've been spending? Julie's my wife. So mm-hmm. is that the software you've been spending all the, you know, all of your time on and poured all the money into? I said, yeah, it's about 65 grand. And And, uh, bless her heart. She just said, well, I'm sure it's the right call, you know? And, and, uh, it was harder for me. And she said, well, we could have furnished our entire house with that money. I said, yeah, that's true. We could have, but, uh, we didn't. And it was tough. Um, some costs are hard to, hard to psychologically get around. You know, the money was already spent. And a lot of times we feel like we need to recuperate it, like that there's something we can do to somehow make it come back, make it better. And, a lot of times the best thing to do is just to, to cut your losses and move forward, which is so much easier said than done. But in that case, uh, it was the right move. It just, it was painful, super painful.
0: How did you move forward?
1: We, uh, we started again from scratch. So Taylor, who's my CTO now, who I, who I brought on, he, uh, he started building it again and we were way late for our, you know, our intended ship date ended up being pushed out about a year, even a little more than a year. Customers were starting to get really, really antsy to get the software for Mac. We'd been talking about it forever, so it was it was a long time, painful. You know, I mean, there was a lot of just there's a lot of pain. But uh, you know, you survive. You just kind of grin and bear it, and make the make the best of what you have. So it was. I mean, at one point, you know, money's one thing to lose, but um, what what I didn't want to lose was the reputation and kind of our not integrity and like an honesty or not, but um, putting out quality a quality product. I feel like there's integrity there, and I think we would have lost a lot of points there.
0: And so the lesson, um, besides of course, to m- only move forward when you feel confident and that you're putting something forth that's of quality. But the mis- the software error, I guess, uh, you, that was never replicated again, right? You make how do you how do you how do you troubleshoot things before you execute them and you present them to your audience
1: yeah, we, I mean, we would, we do natural testing and all that. Frankly, my experience with software at that point was still fairly minimal. I'd been working, um, full, full time on Wineab. I had started in 07. So the original product was a spreadsheet that I had built. It wasn't even, you know, bona fide software. And my experience with user experience with software design development was very limited. So I jumped the gun on who I hired. I should have vetted them much better. I should have, uh, been more patient in the planning, not the planning, but in the uh, selection process. And I probably would have had a great result, but instead I just kept thinking, Oh, we need the software. So I'll just, I'll take this, this bid, this looks okay. And, um, I mean, going back to the, my FinCon talk about hiring, you just don't cut corners when it comes to having people on your team and anytime contractor or employee, anytime you're having someone else do work for you, you don't cut corners on their work. And I did, I did cut corners there. I, I mean, partly was not being educated, not having enough experience in the field, but if I could go back and coach myself, boy, I would have a lot to say as far as how the selection process went.
0: Now let's fast forward and talk success. So you had that $65,000 hit early on in the Mm. uh, life of YNAB. And so now looking back, what would you say is a so money moment, a time when you really felt like at the apex of your financial uh, success? You made a really good choice, a decision, and it paid off.
1: When I was 23, I wrote on a note card that I would pay off my mortgage. I would own my home free and clear before I was 30 years old. And at that time I was, uh, gosh, 23. I mean, I was married, um, didn't own a home though. We were definitely renting. We ended up buying our home that we're in now still in 08. And that gave me two, two and a half years to, to get it paid off. And, um, it seemed, it would seem kind of impossible, but I loved that the goal. Um, I just wouldn't, I, I didn't let the goal be an option. So the goal was the goal. And I just let my mind go to work on how I was going to achieve it. And we ended up uh, – I ended up going and earning money on the side, developing other um, – not products but other websites and things, um, just trying to find other ways to to earn money quickly. And um, it – I mean quickly. It took me two years. But it was a matter of just not letting the goal slide and letting my creativity kind of – uh, come about and we were able to pay off the mortgage, not with tons of time left, but with about half a year left, we were able to pay it off and, uh, own it free and clear. So I, I hit the goal. I'd since then, that doesn't seem like the biggest achievement, but it, and at the time that one, it was good for me because I'd set the goal so long ago and finally hit it. Um, there was just a lot of satisfaction to it.
0: What was a, a lot of people, you know, don't like the idea of having a mortgage. Was there, was it a psychological motivator for you, or was it more financial?
1: Yeah, I think uh, my my opinion on whether or not to have a mortgage as I've grown older has softened. When I was the age of twenty three, I thought, "Oh no, you want to pay off that mortgage as fast as you can." Um, I I don't totally agree with my twenty three year old self in that respect, but I will say once it's paid off uh and that cash flow is freed up even if it's super cheap rate and we're in just absolutely unbelievably low rate still. So even with all of that in mind, the idea that you have this cash flow freed up, that the home is owned free and clear, there is something very powerful to it. And until you've felt it, it's kind of hard to uh to put words to it, but it's it's empowering. I mean your your uh options suddenly are just amplified and even if people think the math doesn't make sense. And of course, you can run scenarios on the math all day long and show that it doesn't. But there is something um, that I've really enjoyed uh, when it comes to just being able to relax a little more, a little, little less stress.
0: And this is the home where you talked earlier about walking in and the hardwood floors and empty front, empty rooms yeah. echoing. And now I suppose the rooms are fully filled with furniture.
1: Yeah, just about. I mean, we're we're still pretty slow on deciding where, you know, what things should go where, but it did stay empty for a long, long time to try and hit that mortgage goal. That's true. It was, uh, I mean, we had a, we had this big great room, you know, connected to the kitchen and we had this tiny couch in it, it looks, looked hilarious, <laughs> you know? So people probably wondered like, why did you buy this house? And then we showed them our five kids and they thought, Oh, that's why. But, mm. uh, you know, so we were slow. We, you know, we sacrificed uh, a lot of purchases and, and trips and things like that to get it done. But uh, it's been worth it. I, that was a big win for us.
0: Congratulations! Thanks. Okay, let's talk habits. I'm a big uh, I'm a big habit proponent, and uh, hopefully, people will incorporate WinApp as part of one of their financial habits. Yeah. For you, what's a habit or behavior or ritual that helps you stay on top of your money?
1: So the uh, there are two things. One is the monthly meeting. If you share finances with a the partner, then the monthly meeting should involve the partner. But the monthly meeting where you just ask yourself what should our money that we have on hand right now what should that do before we're paid again that it just it's just a a frequent alignment of money with your true priorities and you find a lot of peace there not more money necessarily but just satisfaction knowing that your money is doing things that you actually care about so there's there's that one that is critical just absolutely critical and then the other one is and you could use um, the WineApp software, or you can use a lot of software. So this, this applies universally. But when I spend money, I pull out the app. In this case, it's WineApp, and I check my budget and I also record the transaction. It takes about 10 seconds. We do really fancy stuff with geolocation and payees and learning about, you know, what, what the smart defaults are for the transaction. So it's very quick, but it helps you just maintain a little bit of that connection where you say, okay, I'm, I'm spending this at the grocery store. Or I'm buying this thing for the garden or whatever it is. Just a little bit of awareness goes a long way in that respect. So those two habits, monthly meeting and then recording the transaction at the point of sale will take you a long, long ways.
0: I have a sort of uh, tangential question for you because yeah. you mentioned, and I agree, You know, having that connection with your money, that visual connection is really important. And Nowadays, we live in a in a world where there are. It seems like there's an abundance of technology that can help you stay. On the one hand, I think you know connected with your money on the go, but also if you really abuse it, it's almost like you don't have to ever think about your money. You know, we can automatically yeah. pay for things. Everything's automated. Um, we can pay with our iPhones. Mm-hmm. How, how do you reconcile that at YNAB? Because I think what you're doing is great. Because you're kind of incorporating a lot of these. Um, Sort of tangible, important, uh, you know, relationships that we have to have with money, where you're checking your budget, you're, you're, you're actually looking at how your money's getting, uh, going from place to place, going from point A to mm-hmm. point B. But then at the same time, it's a, it's a piece of technology, it's software. So yeah. where where do you draw the line?
1: So we we uh, we want to, there to be less post mortem analysis, like. There's like, how, I don't know how many CSI shows there are, like 50 different spinoffs. And uh, CSI, they always have a body at the beginning of the show. And then the rest of the time they're figuring <laughs> okay. out why, you know how the person died. And that's a lot of times how we approach money. It's like, okay, there's a corpse and we got to figure out what happened. And the the person is dead. There's no resurrection of the person. They're dead. So that's a lot of times we, we look back at our mind and say, what did I spend? Oh, man. Okay. And then you move on. You know, there's nothing to be done. We try and turn you around and get you to prevent the death, you know, like uh, that old Tom Cruise movie with uh, not that old, but uh, Minority Report with those weird things that would like Mm -hmm. see the future and they would stop the crime before it happens. So kind of that's a long analogy, but kind of like that. And we just we want people to be planning and being proactive instead of reactive. And that's that's really the the gist of it. So on the technology side, if we can do things to remove tedium and improve awareness, we will do that every time. So you go to add a transaction, we'll say, oh, you're standing in Walmart. Last time you were here, you had a transaction. We recorded the, you know, the location. So it's saying, oh, the pay is Walmart. Oh, and last time you did that pay, it was groceries. And the last time it was on this credit card. And here's the date today. So you're really, we're trying to remove the tedium. We don't want you to have to spend more time than necessary to enter the transaction, we do want you to spend to have the behavior or take the time necessary to be aware. And if we can remove tedium and maintain awareness, then that's a win every time. So automatic bill pay, I'm a huge fan of that. You don't need to question whether Netflix is a good choice every single time (laughs) you pay for Netflix. Maybe once a year you sit and say, do we really want Netflix? Yeah, we do. Okay, we're good. But we don't want you to be sitting there questioning whether you should pay your rent every month. It's should be on autopilot. Maybe once a year you say, should I move? You know, should I make a big change questioning more core assumptions? But I feel like there's, there's a very fine line between demanding that you do tedious things, which isn't, there's no value there and demanding that you do things that keep you aware of your money, where there's massive value.
0: Yes. And the tedious things can certainly eat up a lot of your time. Um, and, uh, that's a great answer, TDM removing TDM, improving awareness. Yeah. Let's transition now. We're almost wrapped here. Jesse, you've been a fantastic guest. I'd like to sort of end on uh, a fun note where I start a sentence and you finish it. First thing that comes to your mind, don't overthink it. Okay. okay. Oh, dear. Here we go. <laughs> if I won the lottery tomorrow, unlimited amounts of money, let's just call it 100 million, half a billion. The first thing I would do is go to work. Right on. A yeah. man who loves his job. Yeah. The one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is?
1: Mm, lawn maintenance.
0: Lawn maintenance. <laughs> and I should tell listeners, you're in Utah. <clears throat> you're look, you're, yeah. you're in Utah, so yeah, I imagine you have a lot of land. I live in Brooklyn, so it's just the opposite. So,
1: yeah, exactly. Concrete maintenance.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <sure>. So, yeah. <laughs> okay, super. My biggest guilty pleasure. Maybe it's not guilty, but point is here it's 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 something that you spend on that makes uh that takes up a lot of your budget but you uh totally love it and you wouldn't want to live without it
1: uh take up takes up a lot of our budget is travel but if we were going for guilty pleasure even though i don't feel guilty about it i would say nice dress shirts it doesn't take up a lot of the budget but they are exceptionally nice when i buy one
0: where do you go where's your two your uh favorite uh, store
1: the store is Utah Woolen Mills in Salt Lake City, and the shirts, if there are any guys out there, they're Eton, E-T-O-N, and they are phenomenal.
0: So, All right. Let's there's check a that out. Yeah. Uh, one thing I wish I had known about money growing up is?
1: Okay. Ooh. I wish – there's only one thing that I honestly wish. I wish I would have spent more money because I'm naturally a saver. I wish I would have spent more money on a wedding photographer. Oh, or, we are trying to save a dime, and there are times when that is not important. And that was one of those times. Mm,
0: good, good. Yeah, that's really uh, – It is
1: sad. See you I Yeah, I
0: know, I know. I know. Oh. I, it just reminds me – I mean, I had a great photographer. I, it reminds me of my friend who got married 10 years before I did, and this is before everything was, like, digital and just, mm-hmm. you know, they give you a chip and then you've got all your, your cameras. It was actually, like, had to be developed – and the guy didn't develop them right. And he, she said all of the pictures were went oh. to waste except for one. Um, but I mean, yeah, memory's gone. I mean memory's there, but you just can't like show I have your this kids and
1: hope that yeah. there's like if like if, if in the afterlife you can just like see anything you want to see. Like mm-hmm. that's my hope. That's all I'm hanging on to. Yeah. So but yeah, we had photos, but that you know, they should have been great. And they so so there are times that that's that's the key lesson. Maybe that was my big financial mistake, but there are times where it's it's worth it, you know? It's mm-hmm. just money. So It's anyway. just
0: money. I like it. Yeah. I'm going to make t-shirts that say it's just okay, yeah, money. yeah,
1: do okay? that. It's just money. Chill out a little bit. So
0: When I donate money, I like to give to blank because
1: uh, I like to give to my church because it's 100%. There's no admin take. Mm-hmm. So oh, 100% goes to the goes to the cause, which I like.
0: Wonderful. And last but not least, I'm Jesse Miko, and I'm so money because
1: I'm so money because I've built a business helping others be so money.
0: Yes, and everyone, check out this business. It's called YouNeedABudget.com, YNAB for short. Jesse, thank you so much for all the great work that you're doing and for gracing uh, this podcast. Really appreciate your time.
1: Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Frances. It was great.
0: That is a wrap. If you'd like to learn more about Jesse, please check out his website, com. You can also follow him on Twitter at YNAB, Y-N-A-B. We have all this information at somoneypodcast.com. There, of course, you can also check out the transcript from this interview as well as the comments. And I want to keep hearing from you. Please submit your question about money, work, life at somoneypodcast.com. Just click on Ask Farnoosh and there's a really good chance that I will answer it during the weekend edition of Ask Varnoosh, which is a dedicated Saturday-Sunday to you uh, to answer your questions and and, and, uh, and reply to your feedback. And as a reminder, if you'd like to win a free 15-minute money session with me, just hop onto iTunes, leave a review for the show. Each Saturday, I select one new reviewer to receive a free 15-minute money blitz with me. And I've been doing this now for quite some time. And I've had the privilege of getting to connect with many of you one-on-one I just love doing this. So please, if this is something that interests you, you'd like to connect, uh, please leave a review on iTunes and hopefully uh, I will read it off and we will get to connect. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Thanks to my guest, Jesse Meekum. Hope your day is so money.